A group of young children, ages 5 to 10, were asked questions about love and life and wisdom, and their answers are remarkably astute. And they provide evidence, once again, that all that we need to know we probably learned in kindergarten. I'm going to read you some of their answers that they came up with. You may have heard this before. But these are, bear in mind, these are small children who were asked questions about love and marriage. They were asked the question, what is the proper age to get married? Little Judy is eight years old. She says, the proper age to get married is 84. Because at that age, you don't have to work anymore, and you can spend all your time loving each other in your bedroom. Little Tommy is five years old, and he had the opposite answer. Tommy said, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. <laughs> what do most people do on a date? Mike is 10 years old, and I want you to listen carefully to Mike's answers, because he's pretty wise for 10. What do most people do on a date? He said, well, on the first date, they just tell each other lies. And that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. When is it okay to kiss someone? Jim is 10 years old. He says you should never kiss a girl unless you have enough bucks to buy her a big ring and her own VCR because she'll want to have videos of the wedding. Jim's going to stay out of trouble, I can tell that. Kelly is nine years old, and she says, never kiss in front of other people. It's a big, embarrassing thing if anybody sees you. But if nobody sees you, I might be willing to try it with a handsome boy, but just for a few hours. <laughs> is it better to be single or married? Lynette was nine years old, and she said, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. There's some wisdom there. Kenny is seven years old. And when he was asked, is it better to be single or married, he said, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. Why does love happen between two people? Jan is nine years old. She says, well, no one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Harlan is eight years old. He says, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful. What does it feel like to fall in love? Roger is nine years old. He says, like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. <laughs> Leo is seven years old. He says, if falling in love is anything like learning to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. What is the role of good looks in love and marriage? Jeannie is eight. She says, if you want to be loved by somebody who isn't already in your family, it doesn't hurt to be beautiful. Gary is seven. He said, it isn't always just how you look. Look at me. I'm handsome like anything, and I haven't got anybody to marry me yet. 
Christine is nine, but she's pretty wise for her age. She says, beauty is skin deep, but how rich you are can last a long time. (laughs) Why do lovers hold hands? David is eight years old. He says, they want to make sure their rings don't fall off because they paid good money for them. What are your opinions of lo- about love? Anita is six. She says, I'm in favor of love as long as it doesn't happen when the Simpsons are on TV. Regina says, ten. She says, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. What does it take to be a good lover? Ava is eight. She says, one of you should know how to write a check because even if you have tons of love, there's still going to be a lot of bills. How can you make someone fall in love? Dell is six. He says, tell her you own a whole bunch of candy stores. Alonzo is nine. He says, don't do things like having smelly green sneakers. You might get attention, but attention ain't the same as love. Bart is nine, and he says, one way is to take the girl out to eat. Make sure it's something she likes to eat. French fries usually work for me. What are most people thinking when they say, I love you? Michelle is nine. She says the person is thinking, yeah, I really do love him, but I sure hope he takes showers at least once a day. How do you make love endure? Tom is seven. He says, spend spend most of your time loving instead of going to work. Roger is eight. He says, don't forget your wife's name. That will mess up the love. And finally, Randy is nine, and he says, be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take the trash out. Well, those are some kids' definitions of love. Now, let me talk to you about the real thing. Today, for our last session, I want to briefly talk to you about the five love languages. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus provides us with the perfect model for love. It is unselfish, it is sacrificial, it is transformative, and he went first. And when I'm working with husbands and they're dragging their feet, I always tell them, God made you to be the leader in this home, and one of the definitions of a leader is you go first. So you take the first step. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So when I love my wife, I'm doing myself a favor. When I act in a loving way toward my mate, it pays big marriage dividends. Husbands, Colossians 3.19, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now I want you to notice something. This is crucial. Love is a command in marriage. Love is not just a feeling we experience. It is a command that we Obey. Wait a minute, here we go. Older women are taught in Titus 2 and verse 4, teach the younger women to love their husbands and children. And I've always thought that would make a good ladies' class, how to love your husbands and kids, because people think all of that comes naturally, and it doesn't. There's some things about love that we need to learn. It is a skill that can be taught and that can be learned. So let's ask the question, what is love? There are several different Greek words for love. There was the word eros, which means physical attraction or sexual fulfillment, from which we get the English word erotic. There is storge, which is family affection. There is phileo, which is friendship warmth. By the way, what city is named 
after Phileo? Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. And then finally, there is agape, which is commitment love. Which of these words describes marriage love? Well, in the New Testament, eros, the Greek word eros, never appears. Storge, once indirectly. Phile, only occasionally. But agape, around 250 times. Agape is an unconditional commitment to act for the good of another person. Love is, has to, agape love has to do with the mind. It is not simply an emotion that rises in our hearts. It is a principle by which we live. Christians are to practice agape love. William Barclay said it has supremely to do with the will, not with the emotions, but with the will. It is a conquest, a victory, and achievement. Now here's the point I want to make. In God's Word, love is an action and not simply a feeling. You remember John says in 1 John chapter 3 that you can't love without doing something positive for the person you care about. This is the difference between worldly love and agape love. In worldly love, we experience pleasant feelings which may lead to positive actions in the short term. Worldly love is all about feeling good. Agape love, we perform positive actions which ultimately make the pleasant feelings possible over the long term. We act. Remember what did I say this morning? Five to one, five positives to everyone negative. We act in a positive way because we've made the decision to love that person. Worldly love is falling in love. It is emotional infatuation. It is euphoric and effortless. But it is also self-centered and temporary. If you can fall in love, what can you do? Well, you can fall out of love. Agape love means staying in love requires continuous commitment and personal investment. By the way, in God's Word, agape love is made possible by the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to love. If we had time, we could spend the rest of our time just on 1 Corinthians 13, where it gives a full-fledged description of agape love, where it says love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not proud, love is not rude, love is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That's agape love. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love. Agape love never fails. But what I want us to think about is how do we express agape love to our partner? And you see the baseball myth there? That's to remind me to tell you a story. A little boy went out for Christmas with money to buy his mother a Christmas gift, and he came back with a baseball glove. Wrapped it up. Christmas Day, his mother unwrapped it, She looked at it, and she looked a little puzzled, and she said, Honey, I thank you for the gift, but I don't play baseball. And the little boy perked up and said, Well, in that case, can I have it? (laughs) Now, that may be understandable in a little boy. He gave her a gift that he wanted. He didn't give his mother a gift that she would register as being a gift. What I want us to understand is that 
our partner is the same way. People register love in different ways, and they use different love languages. And everything I'm going to tell you is going to come right out of the book by Gary Chapman. It's called The Five Love Languages. How many of you have read it? Has anybody here read it? Several of you. Good, good. This is going to be a reminder for you. The Five Love Languages. Gary Chapman says that there are five different love languages, ways that people register love. Number one is words of affirmation. Number two is quality time. Number three, receiving gifts. Number four is acts of service. And number five is physical touch. And the point that he makes in the book, and the point that I want us to dwell on for just a minute, is everyone has a unique love language. And I need to discover what my wife's love language is, and she needs to discover what my love language is so that we can each express our agape love to the other in a way that registers with them. And the advantage of this is it enables us to understand what our mate perceives as loving. And this took me a long time to figure out. But what I think is love doesn't register with my life as love. It makes the art of loving our partner practical. And guys really seem to like this because... I said in our previous talk, we, we want to be told. We want to know what to do. And so here's what we do. Here's the first love language. Words of affirmation. Positive words. Compliments. Some people really, really register this as love. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And notice, I'm to build my partner up according to her needs. Not according to my needs, but according to her needs. Somebody says, ah, actions speak louder than words. Well, yeah, they do, but for some people, those words are terribly, terribly important. And don't be like the old fella who said, I told my wife I loved her when I married her 30 years ago, and if I ever change my mind, I'll, just, I'll let her know. And so he just figured once is enough. Well, not for some folks. Some folks want to hear it over and over again. If your mate's love language is words of affirmation, here's what you really need to do. Give them compliments, specific sincere compliments. Give compliments to your mate and give compliments about your mate. Brag on your marriage partner to others in a way that he or she can hear. Express appreciation. I cannot overemphasize how important it is sometimes to say thank you. I try to tell my wife thank you for every meal she cooks because I appreciate it. I do some of the cooking, she does some of the cooking, and my wife is a great cook, and I try to tell her that I'm not taking her for granted. I try to say thank you to her. People like poems, cards, love letters, if their love language is words of affirmation, they're going to eat this up. They're going to love this. By the way, this is not my wife's love language. She, she does not want cards. She does not want flowers. That's not her love language. And so I had to learn the hard way that's not what she wants. But I save a lot of money now. Okay. So. Notice and highlight your mate's strengths. Everyone has strengths, but I need to don't water what? Don't water weeds, water flowers. And for goodness sakes, don't forget to say, I love you every chance you get. If this is your partner's love language, he or she are going to find verbal compliments much more motivating than nagging. 
you can build them up and get much more cooperation than trying to tear them down. Now, here's a, here's a cute little cartoon. This little couple sitting there, and the wife is kind of despondent. She goes, oh. She says, say something nice to me. And the little man thinks for a minute, and he says, you are so cute. Baby seals and puppy dogs send each other cards, cards of you. And that, that is sweet. That is sweet. I wish I were that creative. That is sweet. And she goes, ah. Here's the second love language. Quality time. For some people, this is their predominant love language. This is what registers to them as love. Now, guys, i got to tell you something. This is no woman's dream of Prince Charming. No woman dreams of one day marrying a guy who's going to pass out on the sofa. All right? She wants a man who's going to spend time with her. If your mate's love language is quality time, you really need to check your personal schedules and see if they overlap. And if they don't, you need to reprioritize your time. And this is one of the problems I see in my counseling practice is everybody today's busy. We're all busy. We're busy. We're busy. We're busy. We're busy. And sometimes it's possible to get so busy that we neglect our marriage. And by the way, we, we need to carve out a little bit of time every week for our marriage Make some time every day to touch base with each other. I try at least once a day to call my wife just to see how her day is going, and she seems to appreciate that. Take the initiative to schedule an activity together. If you figure out that this is your mate's love language, then you say, hey, let's go to the fair. Hey, let's go to the movies. Hey, let's do something. You take the initiative to do this. And here's a big one. If you were here last year when you heard my presentations, turn off the TV and learn how to talk again. Ask questions and learn something new about your mate. If your mate's love language is quality time, you've got to make that time. Shared, mutually enjoyable activities. Create a memory bank that defines the marriage and family in a positive frame. It puts your partner's mindset in a positive frame so that when you do mess up and make those mistakes, they will say, well, that's not typical. We really have a good marriage. Love language number three, receiving gifts. For some people, this registers as love. They like to be given things. It doesn't have to be a new car or a mink stove, but just something that says, hey, I'm thinking about you, and I want to give you that. So if this is your partner's love language, look for some just-because gifts. Not birthday gifts, not anniversary gifts, but just-because gifts. Pay attention when he or she casually mentions something they'd like. And my wife very rarely says, hey, boy, I'd really like to have something. So when she happens to mention that, man, I'm secretly writing it down because I want to know that. If you're not sure, ask their friend or close family member. Hand make something special. Send flowers to her workplace. But if your partner's love language is gifts, look for excuses to give them something. And by the way, how do marriages begin? We give our partner a ring. Gifts have always served as visible reminders of love. Love language number four, acts of service. Now, this is what registers with my wife is when I do something, do something positive. Fulfill your mate's honeydew request as an expression of love, not obligation. Ask him or her for a list of things you can do as an expression of love. Reinterpret a nag as a tag. In other words, your partner is tagging what is important. If your partner says, 
boy, I really would like it if you would fix the screen door. You say to yourself, that's something that my partner will register as love. And you will approach it in an entirely different way or present him or her with a gift certificate. And finally, love language number five is physical touch. Some people really like to cuddle, snuggle, hold hands, and it registers with them as love. So here's very practical suggestions. Hold hands while you walk during your prayers at church. Put your arm around your partner. Give them a back massage. Send them off with a kiss. Greet them with a big hug or a kiss when you, re- you reunite at the end of the day. Remember I talked this morning about the importance of the reunion, that very first few minutes that frames the rest of the evening. Now, let me say, this can occasionally lead to sex, if mutually agreeable, but it should not be a selfish personal goal. In other words, if you're cuddling, it doesn't just mean I want it to end up in the bedroom. It needs to, the primary interpretation just needs to mean I care about you and I love you. And here's the reason I do this presentation. You can actually figure out what your love, love language is if you go online, fivelovelanguages.com. If you go online, there's a little inventory that you can take, that your partner can take. You will get back a personalized inventory. It doesn't cost anything. No obligation. As far as I know, they're not going to sell you anything. I've had a number of my clients do this. And, you know, this would be a good uh, little exercise to do with your marriage partner when you go home this afternoon. Let's go on there and let's take the little inventory and see what your love language is. And, by the way, there are specialized inventories for husbands, wives, singles, children, parents of teens, and there's even languages of apology. But I really encourage you to do this. And compare notes. Do your inventory and say, what's your love language? What's my love language? And say to yourself, this gives me some direction so that I can express my love in a practical way, in a way that my partner will register. I'm almost out of time, but fortunately, I'm almost done. I'm going to get you out of here at 12 o'clock, so let me close with two final thoughts. Ursula Le Guin, a well-known writer, and I love this quote, Love doesn't sit there like a stone. It has to be made like bread remade all the time, made new. It is our goal in marriage to build our love and to express our love every day. We get to write the love story of our marriage. So be sure and make it a good one. And my last thought, love covers over a multitude of sins. If I am expressing my love to my partner in a way that she understands and in a way that registers with her, then it's going to make up for all of the mistakes and the conflicts we talked about this morning. I hope something